0: Okay, I'm just going to read uh, some portions from the Scriptures. I'm going to read Psalm 110, then I'm going to turn to Acts uh, chapters 2, 3, and 4. But in Psalm 110, verse 1, it says this, The Lord said unto my Lord, sit you at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will send the rod of, of your strength out of Zion, rule you in the midst of your enemies. And obviously this is pointing to the millennial reign. Verse 3, They, th- your people will be willing, notice that, willing, in the day of your power, your power, your authority, your magnificence. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will never change his mind. You, Christ Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order or the manner of Melchizedek. The Lord at your right hand will strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the heathen. He will fill the places with the dead bodies. He will wound the heads over many countries. This is going into Revelation the 19th chapter, that that is just prior to the millennial reign to set up his kingdom. In the 20th chapter, he will wound the heads over many countries. Then he will drink of the brook in the way. Therefore will he lift up the head. And notice this too, you can see it all through the Bible, all through the word of God. But so much so, you hear this term for Lord. The Lord said this, the Lord did that. In so many beautiful places, throughout the scriptures, we see the Lord. And here in Psalm 110, verse 1, where it says, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit you at my right hand. This is going into the fact that it's going into, first of all, the, the very Trinity that, that uh, God is. God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They, God, in this triune manifestation in reality of who they are, is is Lord. Before any angel was created, any material substance created, before he had created man, there the Lord is, because he was. We see that in John 1, verses 1 and 2. The Lord. And all through the Psalms, you'll see that beautiful truth brought out. So when it says here, the Lord said unto my Lord, the Lord, it speaks of, and then when it goes into "unto my Lord, our Lord, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He, in his deity, in his divinity, was and is and always was Lord. No one made him that, that is, who he is, by virtue of who he is. As the Son of God, very God himself, he's the Lord. That is in virtue of his deity. But here, when it says, my Lord, it's going into two aspects. It goes into, first, the only time that this is really true now is us as the church, this dispensation of grace, the church age us, all that are part of the body of Christ through receiving him as our Savior. Then the, then the fact that Jesus will be Lord, and that's heavenly, he's our heavenly Lord, that's what that's bringing out. Then he will be the earthly Lord, the prophet, priest, and king, and Lord as the Son of Man over the nation of Israel in the millennial reign, and over all the nations. It's very important we we understand these things, the two aspects, two realities of of the nature of Jesus Christ, God, truly God, truly man. Some refer to it as the hypostatic union. It's very important that we understand this, this truth because then we can properly understand the scriptures so he will be. He is the son of man now by virtue of him creating a whole new race of people. That's us. And he's, he is, in that sense, our Lord. And that is manifested and brought out in reality as our head. He's our head. Colossians 1.18, Colossians 2.19. And we are his body flesh and bones in Ephesians 5 and verse 30 and 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, made up of individual members in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. So when we speak of the, these things and understand them, when we understand them, we can speak correctly about them. Now, so we're going to go to Acts and then we'll get into Acts here. When we're in Acts, the second chapter, we know this. In Acts, the second chapter, as much as so many would say and make differences of when when God had literally began to form His church, of which He said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I will build my church. And then the gates of hell, all the powers of hell, all of force will never prevail against it. Because when God's for us in Romans 8, 31, does it even matter who tries to come against us? Having given us his only Son, will he not, will him freely give us all things in Romans 8, verse 32. That's all things, all things on this earth. So we never have to worry about a single thing about our lives on this earth. Based upon Romans 8, and verse 32. And of course, obviously, the most important for all eternity. But we can experience the reality of eternity right now because we have that eternal life, that life that Christ is in 1 John 2, verse 11. We can experience it right now in time because we are not products of time or products of the earth. We are products of eternity. We are a heavenly people. There's a big difference in the manifestation and outworking of his lordship in terms of us as the church and then in terms of Israel during millennial reign here is acts the second chapter this is when pentecost began this is when the church actually began it didn't begin in acts begin in acts 9 it didn't begin in acts 13 it didn't begin in acts 22 and acts 26 like some would teach it absolutely without a Doubt about it began in Acts' the second chapter. Now, then it says this. Peter, if you remember, Peter here, and when we look at these things and understand them, we can see the amazing truth. Peter, Jesus met him when he was backslidden and out all night fishing in John the 21st chapter, those first three verses. Then Jesus is on the shore waiting for him, and he, in a, he's backslidden, but God, Christ, recommissions him, brings him right back to his proper place to preach and teach. He said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. In John 21, 15 to 17. Then he said this, I am going to carry you to places and to a place where you would never have gone yourself because he wouldn't have had the ability to do so, neither would we. But he recommissioned him. And now this is being fulfilled. His first message we see in Acts 2, in this chapter, in verse 41, his first message that he preaches in fulfillment of what Christ told him that Christ himself would do the feeding through him of his church. He would feed Peter, and then he would use Peter to feed his church. Whose church? Christ's church. 3,000 souls, the first message he preached, as from the time he was back until he got right with Christ, because Christ was there to meet him. That's the only place we, we get right is, is Christ is waiting to meet us. <laughs> He's waiting in Isaiah 30, verse 18, to be gracious. Recommissions him immediately. 3,000 souls received Christ. He had a second message in Acts 4, verse 4. 5,000 souls received Christ as their Savior. That's what happens when it is Christ in a vessel pouring himself into, through, and out of that vessel to others. But here in Acts 2 verse 14 it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto him, them, You men of Judea, and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and listen, submit, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunk. And they were referring to all those that be the these men of god that began speaking in tongues and please remember tongues was not in some unknown foreign angelic language gibberish they were known foreign languages every single time you see an angel and he came and spoke to man it was in a language he clearly understood the greek word is glossolalia known foreign languages paul himself was a polyglot he knew many different languages known languages for these are not drunken as you suppose seeing it is but the third hour of the day the middle of the day but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel that's in the second chapter of Joel and it will come to pass on the last day, says the, says the Lord I will pour out my spirit upon all humanity and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will will dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out on those days of my spirit and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord, the day of the Lord at this day of judgment. None for us, thank God, but this is referring to Revelations, the 19th chapter. When God will come back, and we will come back with him. We will come back with him. And so, again, and it will come to pass that whosoever during that time will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, be born again, receiving Christ. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God as much as he was not by the... Religious system of the day—that the Pharisees, the scribes, these scenes approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered. By the determinant, counsel, and foreknowledge, did anyone take his life, or was it given over, as John 10, 17, and 18 clearly brings out. And we must always remember that death never took Jesus Christ on Calvary. He gave himself over to death. in our pl- To God as a propitiation and for us, as the substitute whereby we would be reconciled to him as our Lord and Savior. We don't make him our Savior any more than we make him our Lord. So here we are again, him being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge. What does that mean? He was the lamb slain before God created an earth for man to even dwell upon. In Revelations 13 and verse 8, and the works were finished from before the foundation of the earth in the eternal mind of God. In Hebrews 4 and verse 3, but Jesus Christ in John 1, 1 to 14, and up to verse 18, came out, put on humanity to reveal the reality of the eternal mind of God to be expressed in time. And that's what makes time so very vital to us as believers as Christians, and for him to be in control of our date books. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Why? Because it was not possible that death could ever keep him. (laughs) He's life itself. For David spoke concerning him, And this is, again, we see in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, because he is at my right hand. We saw that again in Psalm 110, those verses we read. Because he is at my right hand, that I should not be moved. Oh boy, if we understand, and we'll get into it, right hand, we would never be moved by anything on this earth. Because he's our Lord and Savior above everything pertaining to us while we are on earth we would never be moved by a single thing therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad moreover also my my physical body will will also rest in hope because Christ is my hope in colossians 1 and verse 27 because you will not this is Christ you will not leave my soul in hell hell not a good translation. Christ never went into hell, not ever one single time. He went into the grave. That's the word both in the Hebrew and in the Greek. He went into the grave. The grave. Neither will you in that grave allow the Holy One to see corruption in the grave. You have made me to know. You have made known to me the ways of life and you will make me full of joy with your countenance. And I'll reflect it, who I am in you and who you are in me in a proper image. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. That's why that when that was being spoken, it wasn't being spoken about David. It was being spoken about Jesus Christ who would come through the line of David that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, as well as David was a priest and king, those three things that we are in Christ, therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins... According to his physical body, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That was the promise that's realized again in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 13 to 15. It's brought out very, very clearly there, as we can see with a, a bunch of other scriptures. He, seeing this before, spoke, listen to this, of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in the grave, again, not hell, neither his body did see corruption in that grave. Verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up, whereof we, all of us in Christ right now, folks, all of us, we are his witnesses that give a proper testimony of who he is and his person and his work that he accomplished for each and every single one of us as individuals that make up that body that he is the head of. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof, and as a result of this, we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this, which you now see in here, this is fulfilling john the 14th chapter in the 16th and 17th verses god was going to give us and christ was going to give us another comforter that's why it was necessary in john 16 and verse 7 for him it was expedient for him to go away so he could send the holy spirit to dwell in us again john 14 17 with john 16 and verse 7. and so the lord said unto my for david it's not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit you on my right hand. So far as anyone making him Lord, until I make your foes your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel. Know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, in his humanity, already was that in his deity. But he's made him that for us as his church and for Israel during the millennial kingdom. He's made him Lord. Because in both cases, there are people that couldn't be a people outside of Christ being their Lord in the person of who he is in the accomplishment of his work. And so we see again in Acts, the third chapter, the third chapter we see in so many different places here. We see in in, in Acts 3, verse 14, but you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, speaking to... Uh, religious Israel, unsaved Israel, or to those that are now born again, and to get them back to thinking about who they are in Christ, and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, we whereof, what? We. That's you and I. We are witnesses. No such thing as we can't. (laughs) We are his witnesses. But do we know enough about who we are? And his name which is his person in the accomplishment of his work, through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know, yea, the faith which is in him has given him this perfect, complete soundness and health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I don't desire that you, through ignorance, that through ignorance that you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. <laughs> See, he's Lord by what he, who he is and what he accomplished. Repent, you therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, and that's in a personal way, receiving him as salvation, whom the heaven must receive, it's where he is now, until the times of restitution of all things, the plan of God being worked out on the earth, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world even began to be. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, all those fathers, a prophet will the Lord your God raise up unto you of your own brethren like unto me. This is fulfilling Deuteronomy the 18th chapter in verses 15 and 18 will raise up like unto me. That's like. He won't have a sin nature, but he'll have a human nature. In Hebrews 4 and verse 15, him will you hear in all things, all things, Christians today, him, all of us in Christ, hear in all things whatsoever he will say unto you. And it will come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet will be destroyed from among the people Now, for us, we can't be, sin can't touch our position in Christ, but it can touch the experience. The enemy can come in, and the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Destroying the sense of this intimate, beautiful fellowship based upon a proper image through a will being submitted. You will be destroyed from the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel, and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. You are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, in your seed will all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Who was was Abraham's seed? Who was the type? It was Isaac. He was the one that was given up. And that type was Christ. Remember in Genesis, the 22nd chapter, and those first eight verses, where Abraham and Isaac went up, and God said, sacrifice your only son to see his obedience and trust. And Isaac was spared. But did God spare his only son? No, because he would never be, we would never experience his lordship and his saviorhood. And us being his bride and him being the bridegroom, had he, not, had he spared his own son, but he didn't. Because God in Romans 8, again, verse 31, was for us, who against us, having having not spared his only uniquely begotten, one-of-a-kind son, will he not with him freely give us all those other things? I mean, he's given us the best that he could. All those other secondary things that we worry about, will he not with him freely give us those things? If he's done the most... Will he not even add to the most what is the least? Some would call that a fortiori. We'll get into that at a different time. Christ Lordship. We see it again, Christ Lordship. You can see it all the way through the um, Acts. You see it all the way through the, the Bible, the Psalms, and all through the Acts. Christ Lordship. Christ Lordship. For us to experience it, we must be like Peter brought. We must, we must experience not only the fact that he is our Savior, but that he is our Lord, based upon who he is and his person and what he's accomplished. We have Christ's Lordship, but to, but to experience that, we need to be brought into connection with the Lord Jesus, who is that Lord, not only in his character of grace. And thank God for that, His character of grace, but of Lordship, His Lordship over us. We don't make Him Lord. We don't. We simply submit our wills to Him who is Lord. To experience the life, to experience our Savior, to experience a Father in John 20 and verse 17, to experience the fact that we are His bride and that He is our bridegroom in Revelations nineteen seven and nine, and to realize that we are His body, flesh and bone, in Ephesians five thirty, and that He loves us in particular as particular members, is being brought out in First Corinthians twelve and verse twenty seven. That reaches all the way through all in eternal glory in Revelations two and verse seventeen, and we need to know that. We need to know that. It's one thing to have his grace and to know that grace in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 has saved us. And not only that, accomplished all the works that we are to just walk in. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 21 and in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. And that's what we're to do. And that's what he has for us. The footsteps are all laid out for the individual in God's plan. His precise plan through the headship and lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's why he said, when we get to understand this, we don't add anything to who he is and what he's accomplished. We don't make him anything. He's made us everything. Because he is everything. He's made us that. And so that's even in Song of Solomon 4 and verse 7. When I understand his grace and everything about me is grace and not works, not even a little bit, read Romans 4, 1 through 8. Read Romans 11, 5 and 6. Read Romans chapter 5 and verses 20 and 21. It's all by grace. Every single bit of it. And God never gives us grace in Romans 6, 1 and 15 and Romans 3 and verse 8. Ever to live in sin. Ever. He will lovingly Lovingly correct us in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11, uh, verse 4 uh, and 11 all the way through to the 29th verse in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Never. But he said that you are all fair, my love. You are absolutely beautiful. There's no spot in you because you've been placed in my son in whom there is no spot. In Numbers, than the type, in Numbers 19, verses 1 and 2. And so that's why he says, now look from the top. Look from the top in Song of Solomon 4 and verse 8. Stop looking horizontally. Stop thinking you have to do something to make Christ something he already is. Stop. Look from the top. Do you see him? He's Lord. He's Lord. But oh, how he's our head. And oh, how he desires the depth of intimacy with us and what he's accomplished. So what is the first then? What's the first mark then in this case that he has stamped upon our hearts? What is it? What is it? And it's this. What is that? That Jesus must be known and honored. He must be. He must be known, how do we know him? But by the Holy Spirit, in John 16, 13 and 14, He takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. First, before we were born again, it took the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Then once that we were placed in Christ through salvation, then the Holy Spirit begins to take the things of Christ, in John 16, 13 and 14, and show them unto us. Now John 3, 30 says this, and 327 says, can a, can a man receive anything except it come from heaven? Huh. So I want us to think about this. And I want to think of it with you as the Holy Spirit gives it to all of us together. He is Lord and deity. But for him, for us to experience him, his lordship and his saviorhood and his deep love for us, he who is Lord came out and put on humanity in John 1 verse 14. He came out and put on humanity and had to be accomplished so much and be crucified. all our sins put on him. And all that was gotten out of the way and dealt with. The old man crucified in Romans six one to six, All our sins paid for and dealt with. He doesn't see him anymore. As he said in Isaiah 43 and verse 25 and Isaiah 44 and verse 22, he said it again in Hebrews eight twelve and Hebrews ten seventeen. their sins and their iniquities, I don't remember them anymore, meaning he'll never treat us after them. He'll only treat us in Christ ever. That's why he doesn't punish us for sinning. He lovingly corrects us as our Lord and as our head. And so when we see this, It brings it out. It's emphatic. He must, in John 3.30, He must increase. But I must decrease. You see that? He must increase in His own lordship over us. For us to experience that in terms of humanity, we will never experience it as the Trinity is God, but we can certainly experience Him as Lord in humanity. And that's what he's given us, and that's what's understanding. That's understanding. My Lord said unto my Lord, that Thee Lord said unto my Lord, Sit you at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And again, He must increase, but I must decrease. And as we decrease, the increase is not increasing more. It's just we're seeing more of that increase. And God doesn't increase or decrease in who he is. He is the increase. And when we decrease, we see we don't have to make him anything. What could we do? What would God leave up to us that Christ did not finish completely on Calvary? In John 19 and verse 30. And so we understand that. And that's why even the apostle, the aged apostle, approximately now, We've said before, he was approximately 35 years of age on the road to Damascus when he met Christ in Acts 9, 1-6 and received him as his Savior. Received him, and we know that based upon 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3. No man can say, Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. He had received Christ instantly. And from that time, he was 35. He went on his three missionary journeys his whole life. By that time, now he's in prison in Rome. He's, he's, he's shackled up to, to a Roman guard. And he said in Philippians 3, 9, I want to be found in him, proper image, not having my own righteousness, my own way, not me making him to be anything or try, and then trying to make me be something. We're trying to make him something that he already is. And not to be found in my own righteousness. He said this in Philippians 3.10, a favorite verse of one of the closest people to my heart made this statement that was that person's favorite verse. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Mm -hmm. Head, new head, and head of a new race in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 and his humanity. I wanna know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being made conformable unto his death. So that out of that, I experience a proper image in the life that he's made me to be in my own individuality. And so this is, he must be known he must be known, we, and he's given us the Holy Spirit for us to know. He's given us this unction in 1 John two twenty. That's the Holy Spirit. He's given us the anointing. The anointing is the Holy Spirit himself. It's not a bunch of different anointings, different qualifications. That is the Holy Spirit in 1 John 2, verse 27. It is the Holy Spirit himself. <clears throat> Again, and he's to be honored. God said way back in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, All those that honor me, I will honor. But those that lightly esteem me, I can only be lightly esteemed. I can only lightly esteem them. I won't be able to reveal who I am through my son. And then in John 5, I will will read in John chapter 5, and we're almost done here this morning. I'll read in John chapter 5, in verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, the Pharisees, Truly, truly I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Did we hear that? Our own Savior, Christ, our own Lord, was so submitted to God that He could, he could not, he would not do anything of himself. But what he sees the Father do, that's deity. and only a way in John one eighteen that he, he would know. Also with 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16, a light that's unapproachable, because <laughs> it's the Godhead. For what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. And the Father loves the Son, and shows him all things that himself does. All things. That's deity again. And he will show him greater than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises up the dead and, and, impart, and imputes and imparts life to them, even so the Son imputes and imparts whom he will this life. For the Father judges no man. Did we understand that? Father judges no man, but has commended all judgment unto the Son. That's who all the unsaved will meet at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20 10 to 15. They will see Christ sitting there in humanity like the seraphim saw him in his deity only in in an express way in Isaiah the 6th chapter verses 1 and 2. That all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Oh, the ignorance and some insincerity trying to make him Lord. Listen, that's that's not, and I, don't, I do believe some do it ignorantly. They wouldn't do it on purpose. I do believe that with all my heart. But that's dishonor to the Son, to think that we could do anything, that God has already made him to be in his humanity, and that that he already was and is in his deity. Mm-hmm. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. <clears throat> he that honors not the Son honors not the Father which has sent him. That's why. You see this honor? Now watch how this works in relationship to us as the body of Christ. And I want to say, this, star, this is to be expressed and brought out every time we get together around Christ to have fellowship. As, as the, and we get together as a local assembly like this. But I want to tell you where that honor starts from. And honors the Greek word timey, T-I-M-E, and it means value, intense value. What great value there is in intimacy with Christ. And I want to tell you where it starts, is what the church is made up of, marriage. There's not a single thing familiar in God's eyes in marriage. It's sacred. It's sacred. And the submitting to one another in God's order, we'll see that in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. We won't go into that this morning. But in Ephesians 5 and verse 21, after chapter 4, which goes into local assembly, we see Ephesians 5, 21, submit yourselves to one another in the reverence of Christ in each other. And when you do, that keeps all the familiarity and the foolishness of the flesh out. Everything is sacred with him. When he's Lord, in my experience, as he is in my position, and when he's my head, when I think right, and I don't think right without a proper head, and I don't realize his Lordship, and then when I don't, I have to make him something starts in marriage, when we submit to one another. But the truth about it is, that truth of submitting to one another, and this is the reason why, because in 1 Corinthians 6, and I'll read these verses as we begin to close this, this morning, in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19 says what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Oh, if we only understood that in our relationship to Christ. And we as heads, if we understood that, we would understand it in relationship to our wives. And if wives only understood that, they would understand it in relationship to their husbands as their proper heads. You are not your own. Even in marriage, if you want to know the specifics in marriage, in the most intimate types of relationships, read 1 Corinthians the 7th chapter. The man has not power over his own body. This is marriage. Nor the woman has power over her. They are to be submitted to to each other, which brings out the order and the beautiful intimacy and submission of Christ. You are not your own. I'm Husbands, we're not our own. Wives, we're not our own. Single men and women, we are not our own. We are Christ's in order. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price. Who can determine it? Who can determine the value of that price? Of what it costs God and the Son. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. That goes again into 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, in the purity of an intimate relationship in marriage. You were bought with a price, therefore, glorify God in your body, listen to this, and in your spirit, which are God's. See, that keeps out the familiarity. I belong to Him, He sealed me, a seal. And 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 22, and 2 Corinthians 5, 5, and in Ephesians 1, and verse 13, he sealed us, which means it's the proof of ownership. We are Christ, and in God's order, husbands, your body's not your own. Wives, your body's not your own. They're to be given to each other in reverence, in intimacy, in Christ's order. Absolutely, no question about it. I am sealed. I must yield myself. I must yield my will to him in everything. Not just some things. I mean in every single thing. Because if not, if not, if it's not obedience, what would it be? It would be sin. And can I have intimate fellowship with Christ if sin is involved? Never. Not for any of us. Not for any of us. Well, I must yield my will to him in everything. I must. Here it is again. And I'll read the scriptures again. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians chapter five. Here it is. And we're getting there close. How do I know that I'm rightly related to God in intimacy and fellowship? How do I know that I'm in intimacy and reverence for him as my Lord, my Savior, my Bridegroom, my Head? Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks for all things. That's how. Thankful unto God and the Father, in the name, the person and work that Christ has accomplished as our, listen to what it says, he is what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. We do not make him our Lord. He is our Lord. And we experience it when we submit our wills because if I don't know how to submit my will, submit my will to what he has finished and done, then I have to make him something he already is. I must yield myself in everything. In everything. For everything, Ephesians 5.20, in everything give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. Why is that? Because I'll read it here again. I'll read it in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Romans 8.28, And we know that all things, Work together for good to them that love God. Only place that's ever recorded in the word of God. All things work together for the good. Does that have to do with God's order? Where is good located? Only in him. To them that love God. When I obey in every area. To them who are called according to what? His purpose. His purpose, Romans 8 and verse 28. That's why all things are for our sakes, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound, be encyclical, go right back to the glory of God. Go right back. And that's why all things are of God in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, who's already reconciled us to himself and made us proper witnesses when we function properly in God's order and a proper image. Because he is everything. Christ in Colossians 3, verse 11, is everything. Think about that. We have everything in him. We don't make him everything. We have everything in him because he is everything. Colossians 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 28. What those things go into. Boy, the question then is are we, is each individual doing your own will or his? Jesus came, his whole sustenance was to do the will of his Father and to finish the work in John 4 and verse 34. He said, I always do those things that please him in Romans 8, uh, John 8 verse 29 and Romans 15 and verse 3. He said, I always do those things that please him. That's why Jesus said, when God the Holy Spirit was sent down To baptize Jesus for his three and a half year public ministry, you heard a voice from heaven, the Father saying, you see the dove in terms of the Holy Spirit coming down and resting on him. There's the Trinity, God in humanity in Christ, two natures, two functionings in that one, but two natures saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do I have to try and please him? Do I have to try and do a thing outside of him? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You hear him, you submit, you learn, submit and receive of him. It's not do anymore in John, in in Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. It's not do and live, it's receive and experience the life that's yours in Christ as a believer. You're not doing, you're receiving what's already been done. And so again, getting close to wrapping this up. He said it again on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 1 to 5. There appeared, there were the three, Peter, James, and John. Not so special in themselves, but they had a desire to go further. That's why they were there. Not because Jesus was a respecter and thought that they were more, in, more intimate with him than all the other 11 until Paul came the 12. No, they had a desire to go further. And then they're on the Mount of Transfiguration and they see his glory, that glory that was veiled in his flesh in John 1 and verse 14 in the type of the tabernacle in Numbers, the fourth chapter. It's glowing. It's coming out of him. And there appeared Moses and Elijah. And again, we said, Moshe, those are all the old covenant saints prior to the cross, that received Christ as their Savior. Then Elijah and type all those that were raptured. That's pointing to all of us in this dispensation of grace, the church age. And then Peter wants to make three sacrifices (laughs) to Moses, Elijah, and to Jesus. And then the cloud comes. And that's when they heard the voice. The cloud is lifted and there's only Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom you will hear. You hear, heard him through Moses. You heard him through Elijah. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased, you hear him. And then you were created in him in Revelation 4.11 for my pleasure. And my pleasure was complete in him. And now you, and Colossians 2.10, are complete in him. Well, if you and I have these big thoughts, these large thoughts of grace. If we have these incredible, magnificent thoughts of the glory to come, and we have coming, you know. Romans eight eighteen. that's right. 2 Timothy two twelve. Colossians 1 and verse 27, that glory that we're going to have. And we're gonna see Christ glorified. You'll see that in John 17, 22. To 26, this glory that I'm talking about. The glory that Christ is, and that is ours, that's manifested in and on us, we see that again in Revelation 2 and verse 17, and Revelation 3 and verse 5, we walk in white, these glorified bodies. But if we're thinking thoughts, magnificent thoughts of the glory to, of the glory to come, and those incredible thoughts of such grace if we're doing that. But each of us, in our own individuality, have not said what God had to lead Saul to the place of, Lord, what will you have me to do? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 39, and 42? Nevertheless, your will be done. How is his will done? By us submitting our will to His and then we experience that oneness that's brought out in John the 17th chapter, being one with the Father and one with the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit Lord what will you have me to do and until we say that, and can say it we're on the wrong foundation the wrong foundation is brought out in Matthew 7, 24 to 27 until we can say that do we function in a proper image until until we say that until i know experientially what my position teaches me that i belong to another i don't thank god i don't belong to myself the old self anymore i belong to another and this b- takes me out of trying and just continually receiving It's like Christians who don't know who they are in Christ because they don't know where to sit at Jesus' feet and to be taught where proper service comes from, proper life. And they're like Martha in the kitchen, irritated because she's trying to accomplish what she can't because she's missing where she should get it trying to do something. Not seeing yourself complete and then going around and other Christians and not seeing him completed in them. And that becomes a badge. Certainly the sheriff and it's not such a really good way to say it but Christ who is the sheriff he doesn't need any deputies. He's more than enough himself. Lord what will you have me to do? If you and I have these large thoughts of grace as it's been taught to us, then do, do we yield our own will to God's? That's James 4, 6 through 10. That's 1 Peter 5, 5 through 10. If we, if you and I have large thoughts of our privileges, and we have them, do you see and do I see in Ephesians 1? 16 to 23. In Ephesians 3, 16 to 21. In Ephesians 4, 13 to 21. In John 13, 34 and 35. In Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. In 1 John 5, 1 through 3. and 1 John 8, 1 through 3. Do we see our responsibility? I just gave you those scriptures because we really don't have the time to even quote them, there's so many, but you can have them because they're yours. If you and I are talking of glory, this glory, the glory that Christ is and the glory that he's given us, is it connected with obedience? Is it? You and I, any of us, may have right thoughts, And it's like if we're going to go on a journey through life today, we pack all those nice thoughts up to take them with us on our journey. But they are of no good to you or to I if there's not in us the spirit of obedience. If not, we don't function in proper image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Genesis chapter 5, 1 and 2, we were created in the image of God, a trichotomous being. 1 Thessalonians five twenty three, spirit, soul, and body. And when I don't function with a submitted will to God, with my hum, human spirit given over to the Holy Spirit, in Galatians 5, 16, based upon Galatians 5, and verse 24, I function just like an animal, a dichotomous being. Everything's about myself and my bodily instincts. Myself with self-will and my bodily instincts. And that's what life is instead of Christ. I live just like that. I live, I can live in my privilege this morning based upon, and I have a privilege, and it's a responsibility that's been made mine because He's given me the privilege to do so. I can live with a higher appetite. Or a lower lap, appetite. I can live in the love that God is in me through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll live in lust, some form of lust. I gotta have this thing. I gotta have that thing. I gotta go to this place. I gotta have this thrill because Christ is not my life experientially. What do we have? Slavery versus freedom. Which master? Matthew six, nineteen to twenty-four who, Jesus said, who are my true family. I, I wish we could get this, honestly. Listen, we all have natural family. We do. Every one of us has natural family. But I want to make this clear. If you and I are in a local assembly, God has placed you there. They, first and foremost, are your family. They take precedence. I wish we could get that straight. No, I mean it, too. I wish we could get it straight. Honestly, Jesus said, Who are my true family? I'm going to tell you where he said it. In Matthew 12, 46 to 50. He said it in Mark 3, verse 31 to 35. He said it in Luke 8, 19 to 21. Having loved his own, he was with them till the end. He loved them till the end. Who is that? Jesus had natural family. But those that he considered his family were those that were taught and he had that depth of intimacy and in fellowship with. Did you know that? They take precedence. And just maybe if we functioned that way, we would draw those other natural family members that aren't taught into the body and not vice versa. I'm make that clear this morning. Very clear. Because God made it very clear to me. First and foremost, first and foremost, And he said it again. You remember what Jesus said to John when he was hanging on the cross? He looked at his own mother and and he said, and it's the most beautiful terms, by the way, he said, woman, in a deep way, behold your son, John the Beloved. It wasn't just anybody. It wasn't natural family. Christ cut himself off. Not that he didn't love them, but he cut himself off. And don't think you need to do certain things and to win them. Why don't you bring them to a place where they can be won just like you were? I don't know where this, forget this other stuff. It's not local assembly. And then he said to John, Son, behold your mother. For my mother and brethren are they which hear the word of God and do it. That's right. And that's the local assembly. That's your true family. I want to make that crystal clear. Honestly, just maybe, just maybe, if you gathered more, Hebrews 10 verse 25, if you did that more, that maybe if they missed you in that sense, God would use that to draw them into where you get fed. <laughs> Do you think so? Do you think that's God's order? It is. He loves us is our head, is our Lord, is our Savior. And we are so thankful for that depth of his love for us. So, Lord, we thank you and praise you for that love. Thank you that Christ is Lord, that he is Master, that he is our Savior. No other name in Acts 4.12, none. First Timothy two, five, 1 Timothy 2.5, one mediator between God and men, it's the man, Christ Jesus. Bring them where where they can get fed. Sometimes we think we've got to go out. uh, Can you just give me a little portion, a a little parcel, so I can go out and tell them? No. Stay and get fed and tell them where to come. In Jesus' name, amen.